welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. Today's episode is entitled, Poker as Emotional Health Training. Yes, we're talking about the classic card game, which many of us love, poker, and how it functions as a form of emotional health training. So let's start talking about poker. I have been blessed to have some friends who enjoy hosting poker games. And this trend started last summer and it has gone on ever since. So for the last seven or eight months now, I've been able to play poker once or twice a week with some pals. And this is the kind of thing that just appears sometimes in your life. It's almost like a group of friends who want to hang out once a week is something we might come across earlier in life, but when we find it later in life at times, it's a it's a real treat. And to be doing something you really enjoy, like playing cards or making music, is just it's something to appreciate and to value. So this story starts with my poker team, my poker club, and my participation in this weekly poker night. It's just been a real a real boon for me and uh, my emotional health training. So we have, so we're playing together once or twice a week. And you know the home game, $25, $50 buy-in. We usually have between five, six, seven players, sometimes four, sometimes eight. The home game, you're certainly playing pretty intensely against each other, but there's also a collective learning vibe where you talk about many hands afterwards. So we can we're, we compete with each other, but we also feel like you're teammates and you're training for the trips to the casino. The trips to the casino, you'll be playing against people you generally don't know and can therefore be a little bit more aggressive or ruthless in, in, in your battles, so to speak. Also, there'll be higher stakes than we play. Because at the casinos these days, you basically got to at least be risking $200 to play poker. So on New Year's Eve, just a few months ago, there was a tournament up at Turning Stone that we decided to head, head toward this tournament as a team. So we pack up two cars with five of our poker teammates. Shout out to James, Raddy, Jack, and Bo. So we embark on the hour and a half to two hour journey uh, northward up towards Syracuse and then over towards Utica to Turning Stone Casino. And this New Year's Eve tournament was $175 buy-in. And so the five of us, you know, are, are, we're heading up there and it just, it brings you back to uh, being on a team and going to a competition. There's something... I believe sort of innate and tribal and primal about having teammates and then going somewhere to battle other teammates. It's like play war or play battle. Maybe that's what sports and games are to a large extent. But that feeling is is really something. It, it takes me back to college and traveling on the bus to cross country and track and field meets and just uh, especially cross country. Cross country is kind of like the tournament in that everyone is lining up at the same time in the same race. There's something about 
competing side by side with your teammates because you're kind of alone in this battle, but you also have this sort of solidarity, um, seeing some familiar faces. So we're fired up. We're driving up. We're talking through your strategy and, and you know brainstorming scenarios and thinking about okay, what do I want to focus on in this tournament? You know because you have your your general game plan set out, but you want to maybe focus on something today that you really want to do well. Ah, so you know we're having these conversations and then and we're rolling through, rolling up Route 81 and over to Route 90 and just like these rolling hills of upstate New York and cows and dairy farms and it's just a beautiful drive and we're just excited and it's just it's already a victorious day right just this excitement this fun let's go toss some cards and see what happens so we get to turning stone uh, the uh, this again this is New Year's Eve the tournament is going to kick off at seven o'clock so we got there an hour hour or so before uh, my teammates, they go into the cash games just to throw some cards before the tournament starts. I, I just like to just relax and uh, read or just, uh, I like to just go into the tournament fresh. So the beauty of a tournament as opposed to a cash game, there's basically two types of poker games in the casino. Uh, a cash in the broadest categories. A cash game and a tournament. So a tournament is what I prefer and a tournament is where everybody sits down with the same stack, same stack size, same amount of chips, at the same time, and the tournament begins. And the tournament, it forces action in that tournaments have basically an inflationary device set up within them. So every 15 to 20 minutes in a, a usual tournament, and these bigger tournaments might be as long as half an hour, hour, or, or so, the the blinds the tax the basically the tax on the game what it costs to keep playing goes up so your chips essentially are devaluing throughout the tournament so there's a lot of incentive to be aggressive and to just keep moving so we we go into this casino we'll back it up a bit when you go into the casino it's really uh it's quite a scene because well first of all you're driving through this really desolate relatively empty upstate new york countryside and then there's this oasis of this casino it's like a casino in 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 the fields in the hills and you go in there and it's buzzing with activity all types of people walking around couples groups individuals old young it's it's a real um it's a real commons in a sense to get to the poker room we often go through the main part of the casino i would say which is a lot of the games uh the uh the electronic games and when you're walking through there it's just like uh, i feel like i'm in uh I'm inside of a, a larger game. Just the lights and the buzzing and the sounds. It's, you feel like you're in a video game or in a pinball machine. So then you, what's very interesting to walk through that room, though, with all the stimuli and then, and then go into the poker room. Because then, by contrast, the, the poker rooms are very, very calm and very, very quiet. There are some TVs on silent showing some sports off to the sides, but... You basically have a few tables of people sitting around in a circle quietly for the most part and just concentrating. Once in a while you hear an outburst and there'll be a little bit of a mumble or small comment here or there. But frequently you'll just hear the sound of people ruffling their chips. A very distinct sound, ruffling of the chips. So you walk in there and have a little area 
like a little mini cage where you can purchase your ticket into the tournament. So we go over there, you pay for that, you get your, your table and your seat position. Table eight, seat seven, for example. So at this tournament, they're gonna seat 10 people to a table and we ended up having 110 entries. But it wasn't 110 people because some people get, um, if you get knocked out in the first hour or so of many tournaments, they do it by levels, approximately an hour or two, you can buy back in. So you might have had 80 or 90 people in the tournament, but there might have been 110 entries. Anyway, let's not get lost in the weeds. So we have 110 entries. We sit down with eight, eight or nine tables full of, full of folks. Probably 85 to 90% male and 10, 15% female. Maybe it's even yeah, 90 to 10, 90 to 10. Pretty good age range. People in their 20s, people in their probably 70s or 80s. Definitely a lot of people in their 60s and 70s playing. And sit down and uh, at 1 o'clock... Shuffle up and deal, and the and the tournament begins. And just like just like a race, like again, everyone's starting like this cross country horde. Just everyone's starting together. Your teammates and yourself, and you're like, let's go. And and you're nervous, and and everyone's a little nervous, but it's exciting. So yeah, once the tournament gets going, you're pretty locked in. So I mentioned the tournaments. The other type of game is the cash game, and the cash game. Doesn't to me, maybe I'm playing not large enough stakes, but to me does not have the same intensity, the, the same collective focus as the tournament. It also, people do not start with the same stack size frequently. Um, and it, so a cash game fundamentally, you come with your cash, I mean they turn into chips, but you come with your cash to the table, you could play five hands and you can take your cash and leave. So you're not committed. In a tournament, you're committed. Once you pay your money and get your chips, other than being able to rebuy in the early stages of the tournament, you're, that's what you have. And you're either going to keep on progressing and make it to into the money, which is the final like 10 to 15% of people in the tournament, or you're going to get busted out. And um, so something very clear and focused about a tournament that I just, I find r literally riveting. It literally rivets my brain. <laughs> Okay, so we're off and, you know, things are going and even in the first 15 or 20 minutes, you can see some people like getting eliminated. So you just out of the corner of your eye, someone gets up and walks over to get another rebuy or they just walk out of the room. And there also is this computer screen where they, sh it's kind of like the big board, where they show how many entries there are. It shows how many minutes, there's, a there's always a, a countdown clock. This was a pretty fast tournament, so every 15 minutes it was going up to the next level, meaning like I said, um, the taxes, the blinds basically go up, so your chips are essentially devalued every 15 minutes. There's a countdown clock always running, like 1457, 1456, you know, onward. And there's also a list of how many people enter, how many entries in the tournament, how many people are left. So you're looking up there after an hour and it says, 110 entries, 95 people left, prize pot of 8,000 or, oh no, it was more than that. 
uh, twelve thousand prize pool or something in that ballpark. You're then you you know you're paying attention to your table really well, but you're also peeking around for your teammates, seeing all right they're still doing. Maybe you catch their eye and get a little nod. It's a really really good excitement playing a, a tournament as a teammate. I encourage you poker players to train for it and give it a shot sometime. So we're progressing, progressing. I'm doing well. I think I play tight, play aggressive as you should in a tournament and doubled up my stack, I think during the first hour or so. So we make it to the first two hour. After two hours is a 15 minute break and all five of our teammates were left and we're down to maybe 70 people. It's a promising start. We, uh, our team, we thought we can send two guys. We thought two guys to the, to the final table would be a really good team result. The final table is the final 10 people. And if you get to the final table, it's a good chance you could make it into the chop, which we'll, we'll get to that. We have a good break. Maybe refill some of that nice free coffee they, they have at the casinos. So we get back, get back to the table and uh, get back to it. So what's happening is that people are getting eliminated. They consolidate the table. So if we started with nine tables, now we're down to 75 and 70 people. Once a table start losing one or two people and, and become go from 10 people to only seven or eight, they will consolidate the table. So you see the big board saying 75 people left, 65 people left, 55 people left, but you also see the table shrinking. So, and as the tables shrink, your chance of making the final table and trying to get a result that's in a tournament this size, you know, seven or eight or nine or 10 times your buy-in, you bought in for 175, that's a nice little chunk of change. So you, it's exciting, it's exciting, riveting. So we progress and as we get to the 50s or so people left, we do lose our first teammate and then we hit the next break and there's still four of us left. Now it's, this is our second break, I think it was 10.30, so maybe 45 people left in the tournament. We got four people left in our team, so. Feeling pretty good. Yeah, we get back to the tables. Now we start losing some of our teammates. And as we go from 10.30 to midnight, uh, by the time we get to two tables, uh, I'm the only one left. Our teammates did well, but they got busted around maybe in like in the mid-20s, uh, you know, in the mid-20s or early 30s position-wise. So onward we go. When you make it to the two tables left, you're getting really close to uh, to the money. So you want to be ah, it's tough. You don't want to be. It depends on how big your stack is and and your strategy here. We we'll, we could do some strategy podcasts some other time. But basically, I I do get dealt uh, aces, and when I'm at when there's two tables left, and I play them well and get good value from them and I'm able to get into a, a matchup where I'm able to double, pretty close to double up. I think the guy went all in against me and I called or something like that. I should check my notes. Anyways, so I, I make the final table and I have like a medium stack. I, could, I can keep playing, but when they offer to chop, um, I'm certainly, uh, if we get to that point, I'm, I'm down for it. So it's fun though, um, Midnight we take a break to ring in the new year. So I ring in 2023, sitting at the final table of a tournament. I'm feeling good about 2023. I'm gonna ride this positive wave the whole year. It's, it's a good, nice way to start the year. Cheers, we got the teammates hanging out, We're trying to get a little team result here. Go home with a little bit of cash. 
final table goes for 20 or 30 minutes two uh, two people get eliminated there's eight of us left and when the conversation goes to hey do you want to chop do you want to chop we can leave with this much money now uh we chop and leave with 1600 bucks what a nice positive poker story to start the year but that's just part of this this episode because it's not about just storytelling this is about what are the life lessons doug come on what are you really learning out there How many of you out there are poker players and what lessons have you learned? That's one of the questions for the listeners today. Drop me an email, weatherofthemind at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Poker players, tell me. Or better yet, on the website, weatherofthemind.org, leave a voice message. Tell me what's going on, poker otherwise. But especially if you have any poker life lessons, let me know. Let's talk about some of these lessons that I've learned from these 50 or so odd poker games I've been able to play in the last seven or eight months. And by the way, before this period of playing 50 times, again, mostly home games and four or five trips to the casino, I played here or there. I understood uh, poker on a a basic level. But like anything, having the consistency of, of playing at least once a week and then I like to read books and think about strategy and kind of deal out hands on my own. The consistency, consistency just allows you to really go deeper in any experience. The time with poker has been revelatory. I feel like I can like develop a course now on poker as emotional health training. And I really like this. I really, I've been thinking a lot about scaffolding. So if you're into poker and you want to get better at emotional health skills, we can scaffold the emotional health training to the body of knowledge and the skill set that is already established. How do we scaffold learning? How do we scaffold learning to things we already do and the things we already enjoy? A little question for you to put away for later, a little pondering one. So how do we scaffold growth and learning to things that we already enjoy doing, like cooking? like playing games, like singing, like X, Y, O, Z. Okay. Greatest lessons from poker. Here we go. The greatest lessons. Poker. And by the way, I'm talking about in-person poker. I don't play online, so I can't really speak about that experience. To me, so much of the value of poker is a social, is a social value and spending time with people. So I can't speak for online poker. Okay, that said, when you're playing in person, there's you're going to have to learn to be patient. Patience. Delaying gratification. Sometimes in poker, you will be card dead for hours. Sometimes in poker, you could be card dead for a few nights in a row. So we're talking about a, an average poker session. A home game might be three or four hours. A casino session might be five to six hours. You can be card dead that whole time. Like there are just sessions where you're card dead. And not only, so you could be card dead, meaning like you don't get any great hands to start with. But you could also have days where I call my, I call it flop dead, where you actually get a good hand. You finally get an ace queen suited. You finally get pocket tens and you play them with some aggression, but there's no one to play against you or the, or the flop doesn't hit you or the player doesn't have... You know, so there's layers of just kind of being dead in poker. And the inverse is true, too. There's You can get really hot in poker, just the mathematically probability-wise, discounting how you even play. 
So patience. And, and I would say like the two greatest philosophy skills perhaps are patience and what am, what, I'm getting my P's mixed up. I was going to say patience and persistence. No, patience and perspective. Persistence is, is also in the mix. But that's kind of, yeah, okay. Um, but patience, 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 patience. Like we have a patience problem. We have a concentration problem in society. When The more I thought about poker and emotional health this last few weeks, beyond thinking about it a lot of the last six months, is I want to write an essay or a small book about, can we teach poker instead of calculus to high school students? And you might say, oh, Doug, no, no, you can't teach gambling. But I tell people, I'm not a gambler. I don't like to gamble. I like to play games of skill. That's why I play poker. I don't play roulette. I don't play the lottery. I don't play X, Y, or Z. And I'm not judging. I think games of luck are cool. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But poker is is a game of skill. Now, in the short term, one night, you could have bad, you could have really tough cards. You could run into bad beats. On one night, maybe it's uh, who wins is 70% luck, 30% skill. But over 10 nights, then it's, then it becomes more like 50%. No, even if, after 10 nights, it's probably uh, already um, 70%, 65-70% skill and only 30% luck. I, I think of, of the long term, poker to me seems to be about 70-30. 70% skill, 30% luck. But perhaps that's not accurate because if you're, play, if you're playing fundamentally sound poker, it should even advance further than 70% in the long term. I digress. Here's the next one. These are so good. We're on to something we're on to something big here, folks, and I'm happy that we're doing it together. I appreciate you listeners. Thanks for tuning in. The second big lesson here, regulate your emotions. Regulate. It helps you regulate your emotions because you are having to concentrate, but you're also having to make a lot of decisions. And decisions are inherently stressful. So decision making is actually another big part of this decision making and then accepting the results which are often the results of our decisions often are emotional they affect us very emotionally you may you're in an intense hand you have a lot of money on the table you win you're elated you lose you're defeated and you're you're unwound you're spiraling how quickly you can just be like listen listen doug you made a good move or you didn't you know you can evaluate that but you made a move and this result happened. Separate the process from the result. Separate the process from the result. Check your process. Go, did you, if you did the right process and you just got beat, which happens all the time in poker, if you make the right moves, you're going to do good in the long term. But you're still going to lose plenty of times. That's part of the reality of poker. Okay, the next thing about poker is... You have to, yeah, kind of build off the last one. You have to face defeat. I mean, you get to face success too, but facing success is usually pretty easy. But enduring a defeat or a string of defeats can be quite taxing. I guess I meal that on an emotional level. Also, how you cognitively digest those emotions and, and bring yourself back to a place of how can I learn from that? And. You know, how can, I, how can I bounce back to a calm place? And if I can't bounce back to a calm place, can I leave the table if it's a cash game? If it's a tournament, you're out of luck. You gotta, you're in the trenches. you got to keep on battling. 
I mean, you got to deal with some tough, tough, tough losses too. And if if you're not emotionally recovering, if you're not waking up the next day just feeling like, all right, you know, I played poker last night, I did my best, I, I had I had I had some tough losses. If you're carrying that emotionally for a few days, you got to check yourself, and we got to figure out a way to have you reset. But therein lies the teaching and the learning. I mean, this is the same. Poker is just, it's just, it's life. Intellectual intensity, full engagement. That's an, that's the next on our list. And the intensity and full engagement on the poker felt, you know, getting on that felt and putting your money on the line. Having some real skin in the game, as my dad loves to say. You got to have skin in the game. Well, in poker, you have skin in the game. And because of that, you're wired. You're fired up. You're, you're there. You're, and again, we can enjoy endeavors that bring us to a place that requires our full attention, our full focus. When you're really concentrating on playing your saxophone, when you're really concentrating on singing, when you're really listening to your friend, those moments of pure focus are valuable. I feel like they're strengthening our ability to concentrate by practicing them. So when we find things that we find, that it, when we come across situations that are fully engaging, isn't, isn't there inherent value in that? Let's talk more about some of the social benefits. I think there's something inherent about sitting around a table with a bunch of people and you're pretty cozy at a poker table. Like there's 10 of you and the dealer in this tournament, 11 people, all staring at the same like center of the table and each other. It's very socially intimate and yet you're not forced to speak, which I find wonderful. I enjoy shooting the shit sometimes, but if I don't feel like talking, I can just be quiet. And you're also really allowed or encouraged or expected to observe each other and each other's play and each other's mannerisms and each other's behaviors. So in a time of increasing social isolation, to be able to sit for four or five hours, concentrate on some cards, emotionally regulate, but also observe them and their mannerisms. This is great. It's even if I lose 200 bucks, wasn't it it wasn't it worth the 200 bucks therapeutically? So there's a social benefit like this raw benefit, like kind of like the sitting around a campfire. I think there's something I spend time in in some meditation at like some Zen centers and I, I like to attend lectures where people are sitting quietly at listening. I've enjoyed over the years uh, going to church and that concentration and that everyone's kind of, yeah, I guess the shared quietness has some power and value to it. Seems like on an, on an animal level, as if like, if you're all quiet and you're together, it, it, it makes it important. Like if you're all, imagine if a two-year-old's with us and all the adults are sitting around quietly, the two-year-old will oh, be aware that there's a different setting. We're concentrating, something intense and important is happening. What does that mean to our bodies? What does that mean to our sense? And again, in a time where we're frequently socially deprived, especially socially deprived from play, social playful spaces like sitting around playing poker, sitting around making music, I think it's really important to val to reflect on the value of 
playing poker, and beyond that, playing games, playing card games, playing games, just sitting around and being social, like the dinner party archetype to a sense, sitting around a table or sitting around a room with a five to 10 people. What is that, that team size atmosphere? What is that providing us? Because it seems to be providing a lot of people a lot of wealth. Again, I'd love uh, for you to let me know what you think. Drop a line, drop an email. So in the next few weeks, we got some episodes about bread, some other cooking episodes. But I also want to go further into this. Uh, I want to, We talked about the poker as emotional health training. I want to expand it and just talk about games as emotional health training or and or play as emotional health training. So let me leave you with that. Let's think about play. Let's think about cards. And um, let's think about living and learning. I hope you're remembering to take care of your foundation. What is your foundation socially? Are you taking care? Are you making some social time, prioritizing a little time to recharge with, with your peeps? Hydration, food, taking care of our bodies, finding enough sleep. All right. Living and learning. Be well. Bye-bye.